0: Welcome, everyone, to the Living the Grace Life podcast. I'm your host, Jim Hobbs, alongside lead pastor of Grace Life Church, Sarasota, in somewhat sunny Florida, Joe Davis. Joe, how are you? Did you survive the polar... Vortex.
1: Yeah, I did. You know, I, the the temperature got down to forty eight, but, but the feels like was forty seven. So you know, the field that's pretty chill. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It is Florida. So, that uh, that put us in good spirits for today's second episode of Living the Grace Life. We'll be asking the question: How do we see our sin? That's an interesting one, and why it's so important to do so if we are going to live a grace filled life. We'll also start on chapter one of Pastor Joe's book, The Grace Life, What Philippians Teaches Us About Loving One Another Relentlessly. And good news, Joe, we have an email.
1: We do. We, one, <laughs> all right. In one week. Was it from your wife?
0: It wasn't. <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll discuss along with some listener Q&A telling you how you can receive a signed copy of Pastor Joe's book. And all of that coming up later in the show. So Joe, after the first episode, I mean, it's a lot there for us to think about since by design, it was full and I myself learned so much because the idea of this podcast is so that we can try and help others and ourselves figure out how are we going to live the most full grace life possible. And so it came up, someone told me this week, well, wouldn't that mean if you're going to live a grace life that sin must be required to understand grace. And I had never really thought about the fact that, oh, that's right. I can't receive grace, or can I, if sin hasn't occurred? It just made me think well, do we need then to see our sin to fully then understand the grace that God has given us? Otherwise, maybe we don't know what to receive if we can't see our sin. Does that make sense?
1: Well, my first thought is that uh, grace is necessary to repair the damage that sin has done, which is it has disconnected us from the Father. It has taken us from a position of fully knowing Him to fully loving ourselves instead of Him. And so, uh, while I do understand the question, don't we need sin to have grace, that's the wrong question. Mm. In actuality, the question is, how badly do we need grace? How badly has sin disconnected us from the Father? And in reality, you don't really know how badly you're disconnected from the Father until you understand the depths of your sin. Just how dark our heart is, not just in our actions. Sometimes we think of sin as activities or things we've done. It's not that. It's how we think. It's how we feel. It's how we react to people. It's things we just even think about and not even do.
0: Yeah, I was thinking sin in and of itself. Someone said the Hebrew or the root for that word was off the mark. Like it was used as a target and to sin was the way that an archer maybe is lining up the bow and arrow and they're actually missing the mark. And I thought, oh, well, that does make some sense if that's the case because by design, like you're saying, sin itself is not an action, but us internally, (laughs) externally, even just missing the mark. Would you agree with that?
1: I think the most important thing here is not to focus on sinfulness, but focus on what is required, which is righteousness. Got it. So a lot of people will, will focus on, man, I'm thankful that I'm a sinner so that I can receive grace. That's the wrong perspective to have. I think the perspective we have to have is I, the, the, the qualification to be connected with God is righteousness and it's perfection. And we are so far from that in everything we think, everything we say, everything we do outside of the Spirit of God working in us. And so, I think that's the right question to ask is just what was required of us to stay connected to God and how far away are we from that? Scripture says, all our righteousness is like filthy rags, Mm. for there is none righteous, no, not one. So all throughout in Paul's writings, he makes these two comparisons, the comparison of righteousness and the comparison of our current state of depravity.
0: Yeah, he struggles with that. I know in Romans 7, one of my favorites, and Paul gets into this sort of back and forth with himself deciding, he says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do for what I want to do. I do not do, but what I hate This, I keep on doing.
1: Yeah, and I think that's that's the key, right? So, what we want to do on a religious level is we want to focus on how we're doing. What are our actions? Performance. What are we saying? Uh, but that is not what righteousness is. Uh, so, it's more about our condition than our action. Our condition outside of grace is separation, corruption, and depravity. And it is grace that comes in and overwhelms that condition and gives us a new condition. We are a new creation. Old things are passed away, all become new. It doesn't mean that our past actions have gone away. It doesn't even mean that our current or future actions that might be sinful go away. We're still going to miss the mark even under grace. Mm -hmm. What changes is our condition. We are now people who are able to take moments in time and create out of those moments of time acts of righteousness that Mm -hmm. echo for all eternity in making Heavenly Dad smile. Before, all we were able to do was try to make ourselves smile.
0: So that's making more sense where you say, Your church, you want us to be, from the standpoint of grace, more intimate, more vulnerable, and more sacrificial. Those three things now make more sense to me when you're saying that in my sinful nature, the only way that I can begin to act that way is not to act better or perform better, but to act knowing that in my sinfulness, I can be that way, vulnerable, intimate, sacrificial, because of what Christ has done for me not because of anything i will do does that work yes
1: so again i think the important thing is to focus on our condition not our activity now that being said the scripture does teach us if we have been given a grace-filled condition through the work of christ on the cross by the sovereign grace of our heavenly father if we've been given that new condition it does change the way we interact with a fallen world around us and especially with each other particularly how we relentlessly love one another within our own church or with our own family or in our own sphere, the people that we're involved with. So that's important to remember to continue to recognize that through grace, we are given a new condition, a new position. It's not that we are given the ability to have better religious performance.
0: Right. But then transformation, which we'll get to as we begin to get into chapter 1 here— isn't transformation seen from the out? So if I say, hey, I can see transformation in you, I can't see what's in. I can probably only see what's what's out. But you're saying that may not really work in the sense that the outward is not fully going to show us what it is well, that's there, been transformed? There
1: will be evidence of our new condition, uh, but I, I'd rather define it as living in appreciation, so what we understand is when God's grace has affected us and impacted us, we, out of appreciation, seek to live our lives in ways that make Heavenly Dad smile. We're not seeking to live our lives in ways to have religious success or to be able to check off a list. Mm-hmm. We are living our life in a way that says, Heavenly Dad, thank you for grace. The least I can do is to live like this
0: and by doing that once we're in that state of living by grace for instance this week i thought i tried to think every day am i living the grace filled life <laughs> like i was specifically and what i learned was much of the time i couldn't i couldn't necessarily tell but i one thing i kept hearing was forgiveness i kept hearing that word forgiveness forgiveness and it wasn't just about forgiving others for harm that had been caused to me It was about forgiving me for things either I had done or for things that maybe I don't know I've done or for hurts and pains that I've caused. Like I just kept understanding that for me to feel this sort of grace within my life, I needed to forgive, which then led me to think, well, sin is involved in that case because I'm having to sort of forgive sin that's either occurring to me or that I'm doing. So does that then make, sin a necessary part of who I am and if that leads me to Christ does that become sacred if anything that leads me to Christ becomes sacred is sin somehow sacred in the sense it points me to Christ because I understand through my sin I can't do it myself only he can you know what I mean
1: my answer to that is that no emphatically no sin is not sacred Uh, sin is actually a manifestation of our depravity Mm. What is sacred is God's word and the law, which reveals to us the nature of our sin, which reveals to us our condition. So God's word, uh, matter of fact, Paul says the law was a tutor, a teacher to bring us to Christ. Sin wasn't the teacher. Sin is the consequence of the fact that we have by our own free will chosen to reject righteousness and embrace selfishness and arrogance and a lack of vulnerability, and a lack of integrity. In response to that, God's word is what is sacred that reveals to us, okay, here's your condition. And here is the solution to your condition. It is undeserved favor, it is grace.
0: So true, and in the standpoint, it goes all the way back, right? If we go back to Genesis and the original scene of taking the apple, well, here's what you should not eat, the one the one free will that we're, we are given out of the gate, and there's the, the serpent basically saying, well, don't do that, or did, did God really say that? He's so crafty, I think is the word that's how it's well, translated, I love, right? I love the
1: story about Adam because, uh, again, Adam was the smartest most intelligent, wealthiest, most connected to God man in the history of the world. He walked and talked with God every day. And he used his free will to reject God. Mm. How arrogant for us to think that any of us could somehow choose God if the guy who walked and talked to him every day helped him name all the animals and had everything he needed and was the most intelligent ever to walk the face of the earth. He couldn't choose God with right. his free will. So how arrogant for us to think after all these generations and thousands of years of living in a world full of depravity that sound we can do what Adam couldn't, it, it doesn't make any sense to me.
0: Does it give us then a free pass, though? Because sometimes I think, well, this is by design. God is sovereign. I don't understand, and there's a lot I don't understand, but I don't understand why he designed us to have this free will and to sin. But for sure, by design, it's for the need for Christ, because Christ enters the picture when... It is shown to us, like you just said, we we cannot do it on our own. I don't understand that natural design, but I know that, I guess, does that make me not responsible for my sin because I'm designed to do that? You know what I mean?
1: What shall we say then? Shall we just continue in sin so that grace may abound? (laughs) God forbid. How can we who are now dead to sin, in other words, those who have a new condition live any longer in that condition? Mm. And so – uh, there is responsibility. There is accountability. Uh, the good news is, is that Christ took the accountability ability for us when he died in our place. And his resurrection gives us the power to overcome the condition of sinfulness.
0: And then in that instance, I completely get it in a way I don't think I did before. That lets me see that I do need to see my sin, though, because I know there are a lot of people out there that they don't want to. They have a lot of wounds. They have a lot of hurt from all kinds of issues, valid uh, suffering that they've encountered. And when those wounds don't get opened or healed or light isn't shined upon it, at that point, there really isn't any sort of healing that can be done on them. So when you tell them, hey, look, by the way, here, let me just throw this at you. You're a sinner and there's you're not doing X, Y, and Z, what you're saying is get away from focusing on those actions. Get away from the actions. Get into the condition that you're actually in. So how can that be an uplifting message? I guess I'm saying for someone who is already struggling with wounds, anxiety, depression, and we say, oh by the way, you need to see your sin too that you know it's like, hey, thanks for that.
1: Okay. So it's not our job to give people eyes to see their condition. As a matter of fact, humanly speaking, as, per, as persuasive as we preachers think we are, right, as eloquent as we think we may be, it is not within the power of our own intellect to convince someone of their condition. That is a supernatural gift from God, the, have, being able to be enlightened and have your eyes open through the law, through scripture that points out to you, said, hey, you know what? You're not perfect. Not only are you not perfect, your condition is depraved, and here's the result. So, our good news, our encouragement is, as God reveals that to people through his truth, we are the people who he sends in to say, listen, let me tell you about the gift of grace. Let me tell you about the gospel. Let me tell you about Jesus. So, the way God has set it up in reality is we have the encouraging message,
0: Huh. Yeah, you you actually that the way you put it right there actually answers one of our Q&A questions. Well, of course which, it does. <laughs> <laughs> and we haven't talked about this. How about that? The, the the and the the idea of the question was how is it that we are going to tell people that like the idea of this podcast is all about trying to show others that they too can live a grace-filled life. But not necessarily that we have the answers, but that Christ has the answer. And for them to figure out how grace in their life is going to have to be figured out, they're going to have to go through Christ to do that. And you're saying there, then it's not our responsibility. It's coming from
1: Yeah, Yeah, you know, I really think the important elements of the Graceville's life are vulnerability, mm. intimacy, and sacrifice. I mean, think about it. If you if you are living a life that is characterized by vulnerability, and we talked about some vulnerable things on our last podcast, when you when your life is characterized by vulnerability, intimacy, and sacrifice, those are direct proofs that grace is reigning in your heart and life and giving you what? A new condition. Think about the actions of vulnerability, intimacy, and sacrifice. They are, in their very nature, righteous. How do we know? Because they exemplify almost everything that Christ did in his earthly ministry.
0: Yeah, you write, actually, on page 12 of the book, there are several places in Scripture where Paul referred to the theological concept of what you're talking about here— the old Paul versus the new Paul. He was speaking from experience when he wrote, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Second Corinthians 5.17. The words new creation are important. The old life has passed away. The new life has been born. The new life is a gift from God who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of of reconciliation. So, does that get at the heart Absolutely. of what you're saying? Who On the wrote new that? condition? Really good. That must be, let's oh. see, this guy, he used to oh, be named okay. Saul. No way, no way. Now, <laughs> it's, you've got that. I mean, is that the grace life?
1: It, it really is. And I believe that what you just described always, without fail, every time results in vulnerability, intimacy, and sacrifice. Just read Philippians chapter 1 and tell me you don't see it dripping with vulnerability, intimacy, and sacrifice.
0: The whole way through. Yep. There, There isn't an area that, that it isn't there. But then during the day, I constantly catch myself and I find myself not doing that. So it's similar to Paul where I, okay, I know this, got it. I go out, you know, it was like someone who was telling me, um, you know, did you, did you, were, were you praying Last week, it was like, well, well, yeah, and then they were like, oh, good, you know, you you check that box, you know, you got that done. I was like, well, you know, it's just not like a one and done. (laughs) You're going to keep praying, like, every day. So for me to keep this grace life going, I just feel at times I'm disconnected, you know what I mean? Like, and I feel like that's me, that I understand all of this, and I'll be going along just fine, and then all of a sudden.
1: But see, that's the trick. When you do that, you're falling into the performance trap. Uh, But the good thing is what grace has allowed you to do by giving you a new condition, you are now able to recognize what you couldn't before, which is, wow, I'm not living with vulnerability, intimacy, and sacrifice. I'm doing the opposite of those. So you're not keeping a list of your do's and don'ts to see which one outweighs the other. You're looking at the character of your activity. Is it vulnerable? Is it intimate? Is it sacrificial?
0: Yeah, it seems to me the best moments— where I have come closest to Christ, or when I have given, <clears throat> given up. Um, where I just, I know we had a, a company uh, that we had started a dot com uh, travel company uh, called cheapcaribbean.com. And I remember in 2007 during the housing crisis, I mean, it was over. I mean, I was basically told by the attorneys, by everyone, um, yeah, you know what, Jim? I know it was a good, uh, you didn't mean anything, but your accounting, you know, it's just not that good. <laughs> you actually, uh, you don't have this uh, money you thought you had. In fact, actually, you uh, you got into the money a little more than you thought for the company. And yeah, you're uh, you're going out of business. That's the, the good news. The mm-hmm. bad news is uh, you don't have any money to refund these two to three million customers that have purchased vacations. And you're probably uh, going to be in some trouble. Hmm. And I just remember, I was like, you got to be kidding me. And I just remember being in the shower. I was like, seriously, God, seriously, like this is how it's going to go down. And then once I, and I was like, well, there's nothing I can do. Like, I was like, God, if you want me, if you want me in prison, if you want, if you want me somewhere, okay I'll go fine fine i that was not the answer <laughs> i I will go and i felt I felt my right hand I mean i and I knew he and I was like wow me being vulnerable mm-hmm. me being intimate yeah and me really sacrificially giving up my life that was my life as I knew it I would lose everything
1: and that that that, that's a great story uh, of being vulnerable and intimate, particularly with Heavenly Dad, but also the heart mindset of willing to be sacrificial. God, if this is what you want me to do for your glory, I'm all in. I'll tell you, that's a lot better than saying, how many times did you pray this week? It's mm-hmm. a lot better. It's not even close. Matter of fact, that's gonna be a topic that we'll talk about one time in one of our podcasts is what is prayer? And do we have too narrow of a definition?
0: Joe, we've worked all the way up to chapter one, isn't that? (laughs) Oh, this is just chapter one. Okay. We've had introduction. Well, that was last week, and we went into, uh, really, you laid the framework there for a lot of what the vision was of the book, what the vision of the church was, and we just talked a little bit about this ministry of reconciliation, which is mentioned in this first chapter of yours. Uh, I wanted to talk about where you say here on page 13, and it's titled, Affection Born Out of Hardship, Mm -hmm. which I thought was really interesting. You have... uh, quote, the bond of grace is supernatural because it is forged and founded upon the common ground of the gospel, and it results in a culture of intimacy, vulnerability, and sacrifice. Grace gives individuals freedom to be vulnerable in supernatural ways that surprise and inspire those witnessing such a powerful transformation. So in those three uh, categories we talked about intimacy, vulnerability, and sacrifice. You say that gives us freedom. Now, what do you mean? Because to me, sometimes if I'm going to have to be intimate or vulnerable or for sure sacrificial in ways that it costs me, like I, I don't, I'm not sure I feel that's freeing. If anything, I feel like, well, I got to do what I got to do here, you know?
1: Back to your story that we talked about in the first segment of this podcast when you realized your company was mm-hmm. going down. And the news was not good. And the reality of the consequences of that were staring you in the face.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And at that moment, you became inter- intimate mm-hmm. and vulnerable and sacrificial with your heavenly dad. Tell me, did that feel free?
0: Free as maybe I've ever felt.
1: Isn't that interesting? So in the midst of performance failure, you felt the most free you had ever felt in your life. To me, when we are outside of grace, We don't realize it, but all we are is in constant spiritual failure. And so in reality, what the freedom is, is recognizing, oh my goodness, I don't have to be perfect anymore. I just have to be vulnerable, Mm -hmm. intimate, and sacrificial. Now look, that's a supernatural transition in your life to come from selfish, Mm -hmm. arrogant, and um, judgmental to vulnerable, super, uh, supernaturally vulnerable, sacrificial, and intimate, uh, to me, that is the freeing aspect of the grace life, that you no longer have to uphold this impossible standard and have this facade yeah. that is really like being in prison.
0: It is, it, yeah, almost literally, because, yeah, in our case, um, you know, we were— saved by angel investors, as they call them, who came in and got uh, a a good chunk of the company for a a rate you you would never get otherwise. And it it went on to be successful. But my my mentor there is a guy by the name of John Payne. He was our chairman of the board. He has had ALS. This is year 17. Mm. He's uh, attempting the record. And for him, he just wrote a book, The Luckiest Man, which talks about he would not trade having the disease at all if it meant that he could get out of the wheelchair he's now paralyzed from the neck down um takes him 2 hours to get out of bed it's um but of course he has his mind and he says he's the luckiest man alive but he did say when talking to God about this it was a similar setup where He moaned, and he groaned, and he lamented, and he screamed, and he did every song. He was angry with God, and he heard nothing. And then finally, after two weeks of that, he stopped and gave up, and he heard clearly what he felt God was saying. Are you done? Are you done now, John? Because if you're done, now we can get started. (laughs) And Uh, is that what you're getting at in the sense that we have to give, like it's that giving up of the self. We think sometimes that just means, well, you know, but you're saying It's that
1: supernatural enlightenment that allows you to see how pointless what you were doing before was Mm. and is. And it's that supernatural enlightenment through the gift of faith and the gift of grace that enables you to say, I don't have to be perfect anymore. All I have to do is be vulnerable, intimate, and sacrificial. And when you do that, that is so inspiring to people around you. You just mentioned he's your mentor, and you just explained why, because he suffers. It's pretty incredible if you think about it. Through his suffering, he became intimate, vulnerable, and sacrificial, and it transformed your life.
0: It did. Yeah, and his too. And for me, that that whole piece of suffering, I don't think I've fully understood. That's, I think, in your chapter 2, Suffering Together, you talk about a lot of the piece of suffering. So in that case where we said sin is absolutely not sacred, that it's impossible. It's really the law that shows us that that's not—it may lead us to Christ. It's far from sacred. Would you say suffering is sacred?
1: James— Says the count of joy when you fall into various trials mm-hmm. and suffering because mm-hmm. the testing of your faith produces patience. So suffering is often, not always, but suffering is often one of the things that the coupled with the law and the scripture and the truth enables us to see our insufficiency. Yeah.
0: So it helps us.
1: In our and our inadequacy. And what does that do? It makes us realize how desperately we need grace in the first place.
0: So that means suffering in and of itself, sacred may be the wrong word, but it is a tool that's being used that can either drive us away or drive us closer to Christ. Well,
1: look, suffering is a result of a fallen world. There is no suffering in a perfect place like heaven, in the presence of Heavenly Dad. The whole reason we have suffering is because we live in a world that is full of depravity. I, I liken it to if you've ever been camping in the woods and you wake up in the morning and you're on a, on a lake and this lake is just a pure glass. It's not, there's no movement, right? It's a nice, calm morning. And if you're like me, you can't help but try to skip a rock across the thing. <laughs> and what happens? That produces ripples. Well, imagine after thousands of years of human history. Human depravity has been throwing rock after rock after rock in that lake. And all it is is a bunch of ripples running into each other, causing problems and destruction and different agendas and everything going, everything is selfish and arrogant and judgmental. And the whole lake is just a big storm. Well, of course, there's going to be suffering in that type of environment. Because everybody's been throwing their depravity rocks in the lake mm. for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And the only way out is to say, I can't handle this this lake of depravity anymore. I need grace. And that statement alone is the result of the enlightenment and gift of God through faith.
0: Uh, that's a great example. And then when I look at that, I say, okay, well, I start to transform. Um, and I do begin to live more authentically. Um And at that point, when I'm living more authentically, I'm still surrounded by the pond of depravity. It's all around me. And so sometimes it almost feels like the quicksand of depravity. And before you know it, this feeling of freedom becomes a feeling of sadness or burden or depression or anxiety because I feel like, well, I'm doing what it is that I'm supposed to be doing. I feel like it, but yet all around me, I see all of the suffering, I see all of the pain, and it can be hard.
1: What you're describing is a desire to live with joy and how the world tries to take it away. So joy is not an emotion. Joy is not a feeling. Joy is simply the supernatural satisfaction with the presence Mm -hmm. of God over anything else, Mm -hmm. good or bad. So even in the midst of this depraved lake, with people throwing their depravity in it for thousands of years, if you understand grace and you display vulnerability, vulnerability, intimacy, and sacrifice, you are able to experience joy, which is the supernatural satisfaction with the presence of God over anything else that's going on in your life. It's not circumstantial. It's not conditional. It's not emotional. It is supernatural. And spiritual, and a result of grace.
0: It's what I. It's if go back to the you know, shower scene or whatever <laughs> with my company. It's that's the feeling I had. I mean, and it, when I tell stories of uh, you know the successes of of running a, a, a company of that size, nobody wants to hear any of those stories. When I tell them that yep. here's what happened on this day, they are like wow, that's a story. It's almost that the power is in always the weakness. It's not in the strength.
1: And that's why I wrote, God gives individuals freedom to be vulnerable in supernatural ways that surprise and inspire those witnessing such powerful transformation. Mm. The reason they want to hear those stories is because your vulnerability is what is inspiring them, not your success. Yeah. Because why? Not everybody can relate to your success. Yeah. but they all can relate to your vulnerability and your failure because it is the nature of human depravity.
0: Right, and the truth is I can relate to the failure a lot better than I can relate to this, the so-called success of how we define it uh, by various ways. Yeah, you put here in the book on the last page of chapter 1, in short, we are transformed by Jesus' grace, and as evidence of that grace, share it freely with those around us Through fellowship and prayer, we live the grace life together. So by saying that, you're saying that to live a true grace life, are you saying it must be lived in community?
1: Absolutely. The idea that you can say that you are connected to Heavenly Dad and not be connected to His people, well, how can you be vulnerable, intimate, and sacrificial with God's people if you're not even around them? It just makes no sense to me. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, it makes no sense biblically. It makes no sense logically. It makes no sense intellectually. You cannot be living the grace-filled life if you are not with God's people together. As a matter of fact, other people who have tasted grace are crucial in your life if you're going to really experience grace. Think about it. It's a it's a positive feedback back loop. As we continue to be vulnerable, vulnerable, Intimate and sacrificial with one another on a continuing basis, all it does is remind us of joy, which mm. is the supernatural satisfaction with the presence of God over anything else, no matter how big the waves of depravity are in that lake.
0: Yeah, for me, chasing joy, I think that's what I mean. I mean, Joyful Jim was my nickname back in the days when we had a sports uh, show in Paris and like. I chase joy too far because I think I'm looking sometimes for things that are bringing me joy outside of the fact that Christ is enough. And when I look at two outside experiences or what are people are doing to me or what I like, then I get completely lost quickly to live the grace life is when we notice that to me, the only, I hear forgiveness and I usually just pray. I I just know to give up. Like, I just say, I I can't do this. Um, I catch myself doing that. Would you suggest that be in a way to unwind as you're trying to live this grace life and you catch yourself? Like, uh, I think I'm trying to find this joy. I'm looking outside of Christ for my joy.
1: This is the challenge because I'm a firm believer that grace and receiving grace is a supernatural act. Mm -hmm. It's not something man can attain on his own by his own free will, we talked about that earlier. Grace is infused into your life because of a loving father wanting to reconnect with you, even in the midst of your depravity. You who were dead in sin, has he quickened and made alive in Christ Jesus, for by grace you have been saved, that's Ephesians 2. Mm -hmm. And so in reality, that's a tougher question. I would say that if you are definitely a believer who is struggling with being obsessed with your activity and you want to be more in touch with your condition, which is connected to Heavenly Dad, uh, my encouragement to you is to practice vulnerability and intimacy and sacrifice.
0: As promised, Joe, we we did get an email. We, I, did. we did get an email, and it was well. You know, it was. It says, "Hi, Joe. I'm so glad you decided to try out Gmail. Here uh, are a few." So they want a book. I think they. I think Google wants a book. The name on it was Andy. Andy at Gmail he's our Gmail community manager. You know, I'm the, I don't know if Andy gets a book.
1: Do you think do you think we can help? <laughs> I think we should give it to Andy because I think we can help him if he learns to live with vulnerability, intimacy and accountability.
0: Andy, if you're out there, you're getting The Grace Life. What Philippians teaches us about loving one another. I love the fact you're going to give Andy our Gmail we are. community signed book. Dear Absolutely. Andy. Absolutely. And he's getting one. <laughs> Thank you for the email. Well, we want, we've want. we only been on the air so far. This is our second week for those of you catching us uh, as we go along. So be sure, the deal is, if you email us at livingthegracelifepodcast at gmail.com, you too, if we read your email on air, you will get a signed copy by author Joseph Davis, that's you, The Grace Life, What Philippians Teaches Us About Loving One Another Relentlessly. Get the book. If you're not going to email us, that's quite okay too. Go to Amazon. Be sure to purchase it. You can get it by Kindle. You can get a hard copy. That's what I've got here with me. Next week, we're going to be looking at going through the questions because the way you designed this book, Joe, was to talk about a subject and then not only follow Philippians in the order it was written, but also then give us time to answer the questions. You have that in 10 parts. How did you come up with that workbook concept? Because I love the questions. They make you think, you know, it's like, wait, I I wasn't even thinking of that.
1: The hope was that because community is so important, Mm. they were designed to be able to allow people in groups to study this book and then come together together and have deep discussions using the questions as a guide in the back so hopefully it those questions are designed to spur on mm-hmm. vulnerability and intimacy and yeah. sacrifice
0: that makes sense yeah well i've gotten we've sent out and we've had several views already and listens to the podcast i have two questions here from listeners one what surprised you most about starting the church that you didn't see or expect
1: so, the thing that surprised me the most was how easy it was to get started, but then how hard it was to keep going. <laughs> that's, what, that's what surprised me. You can say
0: that about a lot of projects. I thought, man,
1: <laughs> this is, I mean, starting this church is going to be the biggest thing we've ever done as a family, as you know. And, and then we got it started. We said, man, that was easy. This is all downhill from here. Then about three months in, man, this is hard. Can we just go back to starting something else again? I almost wanted to start something new. So that's what surprised me the most was how easy it was to start and how hard it was to keep going.
0: It's easy to get in something. It's, it's hard to get out. Also, what is still missing? I'm assuming this means what within the church. So you had said last week about the Church of Philippi and how you were modeling that. What, from looking at that model and knowing that you've now got two and a half years under your belt, what would you say is, is still missing?
1: Hmm. I have to say, I don't know if there's anything missing. We have all the components in place, vulnerability, mm-hmm. intimacy, and sacrifice. I just want to see all of them be multiplied. Mm. I think I think those philosophical components are in place in our people, and we see it happening in the community, and the community feels that with surprising generosity and all those things. Uh, so I think the challenge is to take what we have instilled in our ethos mm-hmm. and see those things exponentially expanded, if yeah. that makes sense.
0: It does, yeah. A lot of that's time, right? I mean, it can only be it done is. over a certain amount of time. And I really think and hope, I know from the people that I've— Heard from that have listened to the first show. They were I I think there's just a word like grace can be. People are just walking around tossing it around, using it in all different kinds of ways. The real thing was wow, I never thought about it quite like that. I didn't realize that maybe I understood it this way. You're saying that I didn't know that I had to kind of give up a lot of things to get these things. You know, it was it was really, and I think for the church to be named Grace Life. This is just going to be such a great added bonus for them because I think you have the vision. You know what it means to you. But the depth of it can be so rich and meaningful that it just, it, I think it's, yeah, it's going to take us a few podcasts, I think, for everyone to get it. You know? I
1: agree, and I'm very thankful for you for allowing us to put together this and for Wayne helping us at Jump Dog Studios, all those things. I'm really excited about the impact it can have.
0: Ah, I love it, Joe. Well, I'm glad that you're here. You just make a, so I look forward to this every week, and I know our listening audience does too, so. That's episode two, our show for today. So on behalf of Joe Davis, our studio producer, Wayne Dallaire, and the entire team at Jump Dog Audio Productions, I'm Jim Hobbs. See you next week. And whatever you do, keep looking to Christ so he can keep you living the grace life.